Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today. Hi, it's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, about, you know, your career journey and what you're up to these days. All right. Well, my career journey is uh, probably like many people. There's maybe two sets of people, those that know exactly what they want to do and go straight on. And mine is kind of one of those all over the place. But the common thread through the whole thing is uh, does come back to what I'm doing now and speaking about focus. But I uh, had a love for technology because I love to make things better, um, optimize things. I'm always looking at how how we might be able to optimize a process or uh, somebody's business. So uh, I started my own technology business and I built it up uh, from just me to a multi-million dollar business. I was really fortunate and I actually sold that to uh, to a public French company, learned more about international affairs than I would ever want to know. Uh, I was living in Zurich, Switzerland at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and from there I went to a large market research company and got involved in uh, senior management. And again, it was uh, a position was created for me in terms of uh, strategic projects and you know, again, sort of with the focus of how do we make things better? How do we optimize? And, uh, and then uh, after I left there, I had my, my children and decided that it was time for me to make a move. And then I got into coaching, loved building businesses, but just felt like needed to balance that family life and home life. So I could only do that through setting my own schedule and being an entrepreneur and, and, uh, you know, being more of a coach to companies that are growing and allow them to take on the full responsibility of growth. And now I'm speaking to companies, uh, around the world about how they can own their focus and sharing a lot of my tips and tricks and strategies. I was also a Tony Robbins business coach for, uh, for a number of years. So I've, like I said, a lot of a lot of different uh, amazing opportunities that I've had, and I uh, am really blessed to have done so many different things throughout my career. Mm, it sounds like it, absolutely. And now you've chosen a very interesting focus, which is focus, like focusologist, <laughs> right? So that's right. What, I'm the focusologist. Yeah, it's like the so. First of all, I love the name. Like I love, I love, I love Thank that. You. Uh, the, the title. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Why focus? Out of all the things that is out there we can work on as individuals what is so special about focus for us well like like you said for me it's been just a common thread Mm -hmm. is uh whenever i wasn't reaching my goals or uh accomplishing the things that i wanted personally professionally you know it always came down to that i wasn't focused on the right things or if i was coaching with all the hundreds of people that i've coached around the world Uh, The key thing was I see that we're constantly focusing on the wrong things, which, so it's not that we're not setting our goals correctly. It's that we're not focused on the right things to achieve those goals, or we're setting the wrong goals and and going after the wrong thing. So, and then I've interviewed hundreds of uh, thousands of people on my interview, on my podcast over the last, uh, God, I've had a podcast now for probably six or seven years. And uh, it all comes back to people say their key to success is focus. So 
that's my common theme of when, when we have the right focus mm -hmm. and we really get clear on what matters most, then, uh, you know, we're, we're half the way there to success. Mm. What do you think makes it so difficult for us to find that focus? So, uh, so it sounds like what you're talking about focus is more of like focusing on the right steps versus being, or, I mean, I guess it's all connected with productivity, right? So, but what is it do like, can you go a little bit deeper into that? Like, what is it that prevents us from staying focused or f doing the right things? Cause that's what we assume with leaders, right? We're like, no, every, you know, we feel like if person's in a specific position, they're doing really well, but oftentimes organizations and leaders don't have that focus. So wh what is it? What's that missing link? Absolutely. Well, oftentimes we think we have the right focus, but, uh, you know, we're, we're caught up in the task. Mm and we're not staying connected to the bigger picture. So, and you're right, you, it's not just about attention. A lot of people, when they think of focus, they think about attention. Yes, and we are distracted by our phones and squirrel, you know, our attention is everywhere and that is part of it, but it's also our ability to ask the right questions so that we're focused at the right level. So are we looking at the highest, you know, and most strategic focus of what we can so that we can find out, well, what's the 20%, right? That gets us 80% of the difference. So I, I'm a big fan of living the 80-20 rule, just not knowing it, but actually putting it into practice in every area of our life and challenging ourselves. Is this really, is this really the most important thing that's going to give me the biggest results and mm. am i really targeting that bigger picture that i'm looking to achieve is is that the right objective so very often is our objective is more at the task level mm. uh, or at the performance level versus the solution level mm. and have have you seen the shift over the years that you've been doing this because i imagine that Although it's not about distractions, but I imagine that being in a world of work in particular that continuously shifting and it's almost like a lot of companies are firefighting and reacting versus being proactive. Mm -hmm. So, and so that's where maybe they lack the focus, but do you feel it has shifted over the last, let's say, decade? Uh, have we gotten worse at focus? <laughs> have we gotten better at focus? Uh, have you seen any themes? Uh, well, so uh, we had the problem before. Mm -hmm. And what, what our challenges do for us uh, is, you know, it, it makes us more aware of, of the challenge. So for instance, the pandemic didn't create a lot of the challenges that we're seeing today with disengagement or, uh, you know, um, uh, lack of flexibility or, you know, the way that, uh, that leadership is, is failing, let's say the em employees, mm -hmm. a lot of that is just now it's amplified because of the mm -hmm. pandemic and the challenges. So now it's more visible. It's almost like, you know, how media is, we had so much less media in the past that we didn't, we didn't have as much awareness and uh, it wasn't in our face about what was happening around the world. And now we have access to everything and all of the information. And so it seems like it's so much more, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing is, is that the rate of change is, accelerating right so mm. um if, if we look back at the rate of change and and how adaptable an organization needed to be uh 50 years ago right that 
that company, if it continued to adapt and change the way that it did back then is non-existent today because the rate of change is so much faster that each organization, if they're not reinventing themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every two to three years, like forget five-year planning and 10-year planning. Uh, it's just, it's just not realistic. It's a waste of time. So Mm -hmm. we need to constantly reinvent ourselves. And I think that's where we see that the companies that aren't doing that, that's where we're, we're seeing it more evident that they are failing because uh, they don't have an adaptable culture and they're looking at the wrong things, right? Right now, one of the key things to be looking at moving forward is flexibility, adaptability, um, and, and the ability to uh, create new business models and to ask new and different questions and really utilize the, the collaborative nature uh, with all the generations that, that are in the workplace. Yeah, no, you've mentioned a lot of interesting points about adaptability and, and change and the generations. And what comes to mind is part of that challenge is helping people manage that change. So helping people in organizations manage that change. And I, I, I imagine that's what companies struggle with. So because as you reinvent yourself as a company, I imagine as an individual, you're almost forced to reinvent yourself as well. So how would mm. you, you know, how would a company, you know, help their teams, help their individuals adapt and be flexible because that's kind of what ends up, you know, a lot of times we get into burnout mode is because there's just so much change and we're, we're just not able to sustain all of that. So what are some things that I guess the company and individuals can do to make that transition smoother? Well, first of all, I want to say that there's always been a lot of change, right? Our, our lives go through phases and we're constantly changing when we graduate from high school and we're open to the world. We, we have phases mm-hmm. of our lives and we're used to that. It's just, um, I, I think the, the challenge is, is that uh, companies, when they're going through change, they're focused on resources and giving employees resources or, or looking to where resources fail. And what they're not doing is helping people be more resourceful. And mm. so I think over time, and I, I don't have any uh, statistic on this, but I, I think that we are lacking some of that ability to be more resourceful. And it's, it's not just about wellness, right? Um, wellness is a, a piece of it. So giving people some yoga classes or, or things like that, again, they're trying to give them resources. Mm. Those are still resources. Here's a yoga class that you can go to. That's still a resource, but it's not helping me be more resourceful. So the way that we do that in an organization uh, is that we, we practice it, right? I have uh, in my new book that I'm working on, uh, I have a reset framework and it talks about a reset practice. So if you practice with your teams on how we reset, you know, we can reset daily, right? It's just making it a conscious choice to reset. And part of that reset practice is to evaluate, let's just take a simple one, what's working and what's not working. Mm -hmm. And reset means to let go of the things that aren't working and focus on the things that are, and also to adapt and, and try new things, right? From, from that place of experience, well, what might work in the future, given these 
circumstances. So given that we're working in a hybrid environment, right, what would work in the future, knowing what people want and, you know, what environments we could, we could create to make that more successful. You know, it's, it's, Mm. I just read something recently and I'm, I'm interested in what you think about this. You know, they were talking about how we needed to, we collaborate better when we're in the office and that when we're together Mm. and to some extent, I would say yes, but to some extent I would say, no, we collaborate better when we have environments that are created for collaboration. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of fantastic tools that help you to uh, Miro, if you've ever heard of that one, or mm-hmm. that, that help you to workshop and and people can share ideas and throw it on a work workspace and move it around, um, and and people can share. So it's really about how you create the environment. There's plenty of companies that work virtually and have been virtual since the since day one that they've been set up. Now I, I do know that we create relationships, um, maybe a little bit easier if I can pop by your desk or something like that. But um, again, it's about setting up that environment that's geared towards creating that collaboration and helping people to be more resourceful. Mm, yeah, it's, 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 it's one I battle with as well. Um, in my work, I work with a lot of tech people and uh, naturally many come off as introverted. So a lot of people, and that was actually one of my questions that you kind of started answering for me. Is, okay. You know, it is, it is, it has it's challenging to engage people in the remote environment, particularly from from very analytical backgrounds. So that that's my question to you. There are tools, but especially if you have managers, so I think a lot of it probably has to be it has to do with the manager because the manager has to intentionally create the space continuously so mm-hmm. that people can get used to this new environment. So is there any tips of how to do that gently and, and taking into consideration what we know from neuroscience and behavior change and how difficult it is, right? But also there's certain strategies that we can do to help people overcome that change in a simpler, hopefully easier way. But what do you recommend for people who are struggling to engage their teams to begin with, yet, you know, let alone having to go through major changes and adaptability and all those things that we're talking about? Right. Well, I don't think this is new. So I think that's the first thing is we have to stop resisting our reality. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're a good two years in now. So yep. like you should have some, some, uh, some idea about what your people want and what's mm-hmm. working and what's not working. So that's the first thing is to stop resisting the reality that this is the new reality. We're not going back to the way it was. When things change, they don't go back to the way that they were. They're Mm -hmm. forever changed. We are forever changed. And so we have to stop resisting that and then uh, and take a look at, well, well, what is working in the environment? You know, what environment did you create? And it's the same if people are in the office and they're in different locations, for instance, right? They could be in the office, but you have a bigger, you know, you've got some people in New York and some people in Chicago and some people in Florida. Well, there you go. They're not in the same office. So what do you do then, right? And what do you do when uh, you've got 10 floors because you have a, a bigger, so they're not working right next to each other either. Right. What do you do? You know, what have they done in the past? Well, they might've created book clubs, for instance, so to get people to come together and to talk about things that are important to them, to share ideas, uh, they might have projects, innovation projects, where 
people are pulled from different departments in different areas that work on uh, different challenges together. They might have different uh, uh, committees, right? And, and that's even in the office, there's committees for lots of different things in terms of, you know, how to, how to uh, create social activities, for instance, there's a social activity. And so they are responsible for coming up with new ideas. Uh, I saw some fantastic ideas during the pandemic of people doing cooking classes together and, you know, and, and different types of social things as well as you know different ways that they're running their meetings that make those meetings more effective our our meetings let me let's go to meetings for a minute our meetings were bad before the pandemic we had an opportunity with this global reset to say hey let's look at our meetings and really make them better and and what happened was is because so many managers felt like oh no i'm losing control mm. because we're all control freaks let's face it it's one of the things that I'm currently researching is my hypothesis that the number one uh, cause of stress is our unconscious need for control. Hmm. And so, you know, therefore we have micromanagement or we have different types of behaviors that show up because we feel like we're out of control. The whole quiet quitting and um, the great resignation are people taking back control. Mm. Is I'm tired of, I'm not tolerating this anymore. They hit a breaking point and said, no longer I'm taking back control. Mm. So it's this tug of war between uh, control. And where was I going with that? So, oh, about meetings. Mm -hmm. So we had the opportunity to, you know, to, to really relook at our meetings and be able to reboot them and say, well, you know, does every meeting need to happen in this way? Mm. What happened was is to control, they had more meetings, more check-in meetings. And we, we need to ask our people, right? People, all the people that we work with are different. Some people may need to meet more and some people uh, don't need some of those status meetings or check-in meetings. They, they're just a waste of time. They sit on that meeting for an hour uh, and they say two words and it doesn't, what other people are doing aren't related to them. So it became a waste of time. I think the statistic is 67% uh, of meetings people declare as a waste of time. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and it hasn't gotten any better from the pandemic. So maybe we should start there. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I wanna, I wanna actually ask your perspective about something you mentioned, um, because I feel some type of way about that point and I, and I'm, I really wanna hear from, from, from you. So you've mentioned that uh, the quiet quitting and the, the kind of, um, you know, the, the people kind of changing, changing careers. And it's like, well, not even changing careers, but let's talk about the quiet quitting right where people are kind of showing up but doing the just doing that bare minimum not willing to go above and beyond right do you think it's part of that is taking back control or do you feel part of that is how to say that people are because some people are quite quitting but they're not really trying to make a change they're just kind of there so is mm -hmm. it really taking back control or is it more of how to say like taking advantage of the fact that they can do the bare minimum and still get paid and, and you know what I mean? And not really progress, but ultimately it impacts them themselves. So, and so I'm just curious, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think we, we come up with these terms to label people and it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a disservice. 
right? Mm -hmm. So I, I did use the label because it's what they're talking about in the press, right. but there's no, there's multiple profiles of people under that quiet quitting, right? Let's mm -hmm. call it that. There's people who are not being paid fairly and not being treated fairly. And so they will come and they will show up and they will do what their job says they need to do. And they won't go above and beyond because they're not being paid for that. Like they, you know, and, and that's the way that they feel. And maybe it's until they get another job or maybe they're just happy doing that, but, but doing the bare minimum, they don't want to grow within the organization. Not everybody wants to be the next level manager or anything like that. But then there's mm. those people, there's those people who, um, have worked uh, maybe a lot of overtime and maybe they're doing the work of two people and they just got to the point where they were almost burning out and they said, I have to take care of me. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're doing the bare minimum, but they're taking care of them that, that it's not possible for them to do the work of two people. So, mm. so they're doing the best that they can, uh, you know, with, with that circumstance. And so I, mm -hmm. I think there's a, a lot of different, scenarios in that of, wow. of people with different circumstances and so it's really looking at each one of those those groups and seeing you know maybe it's just the manager who's working with them uh isn't motivating them isn't challenging them isn't giving them uh good work and so mm -hmm. they're not motivated to to do anything more so there's so many different reasons that can that can have people not perform at their best, um, or to, to make, make the minimum. And it, it could just be they're they're just, um, something going on at home and they right. haven't shared it with anyone and they just need some space. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. It, there are a lot of different profiles under that little umbrella that, that the media projects as somebody who's ultimately disengaged. Um, have you seen or what what I'm sure you have, but what what kind of differences have you seen in, from generation to generation? Do you see the generation coming up like the Gen Z's? Now everybody's talking about the Gen Z's. Everybody left us millennials alone. Now we shifted <laughs> to the Gen Z's. Thank God I'm, I'm an elderly millennial and I'm glad that we have moved on from mine. And now I'm that older generation who is now judging the Gen Z's. Right. So what changes have you seen in terms of how we operate how we adapt, um, how resilient we are from generation to generation, if there is a theme. Um, well, I, I want to go back for a second and then I'm going to answer that question. But I was thinking, I didn't answer your question before about, you said, is that fair that people aren't um, performing? And I do want to mm -hmm. answer that to, a, to a, a question of, it's still the manager's responsibility to hold employees, team members accountable for certain standard of work. And so if they're not holding people accountable and having these difficult discussions and, and trying to find out what is keeping them from, from doing good work, if they're not performing up to standard, uh, and then also letting go of people who are not performing up to standard, because that just, that'll demotivate other people and have them underperform because they're like, well, why bother? Because nobody else is having any consequences and they're not showing up. So mm -hmm. I think there's a piece of that as well is that um, it is on the manager to, to lead the team and accountability and holding people accountable is, uh, is important. Mm. Thank you for that. Sure. So coming to your Gen Z question, um, you know, I'm not a, a generational specialist, but one of the things that I think we, again, it comes to, we tend to label people and throw them in a bucket. 
And I think just like you would probably say for millennials is there's plenty of millennials that are hardworking uh, people and they have a different work ethic and they get annoyed at the other millennials that maybe don't have the same work ethic and just want to travel and work a few hours and then travel some more and then work a few hours. And I'd say, I'd say, you know, whatever, we just have to learn that people are people mm. and we have to be understanding that if, especially with the rate of change that the jobs that we have today, uh, I think I saw, this might be a wrong number, but it's a number in my head that 34% of the roles that we have today, we will not have in the future. Um, so, so we need all different types of people and ways of thinking, and that's what creates innovation and collaboration and, uh, and, and greater productive environments. And so we just have to learn how to, to work with different personality types, right? Different, uh, I don't know that it's really just an age group. It's mm -hmm. different value systems, right? That that's at all generations, different personality types, different, different interests, different motivators. Um, and so I think we just have to decide what type of profile we're looking for in our mm -hmm. team and be clear when we're hiring for that and be really transparent what we're looking for. And, uh, and then also look to see how we best lead each of the individuals that we have for the individuals that they are. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And um, as you speak, and I'm like, that makes so much sense, because I think it's just what a media, whatever you want to call it, whoever puts these generational, uh, you know, names, names on us, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You're right, because as with millennials, there's so many different personalities as with with gen z's i work with a lot of gen z's and i can see some you know they're all very different so i agree i think if just looking at the individual as an individual as that personality i think that's probably going to serve us much better as an organization um before i ask you my my final question tell us a little bit more about where can people find you and your work where they can stay in touch with you or get in touch with you follow your podcast perhaps Sure. Everything can be found on pennyskeynote.com. So P-E-N-N-Y-S-K-E-Y-N-O-T-E.com. Sounds good. And I'm going to show, make sure to include it in the show notes as well for those that are listening. Great. And Penny, one last question for that I ask all of my guests is, what is one question that you wish people ask themselves more often? So one of the things that I often talk about when I talk about the energy of thought, it's a, a TEDx that I did. Uh, I didn't share it on the TEDx itself, but it's kind of part of this same theme is we each ask ourselves a question in every moment. Mm -hmm. We just don't know it. It's unconscious. And that question is, what does this mean? Mm. And we give it meaning as we go about in our circumstances, in our lives, based on our experiences and, uh, and what we're taking in and our mood and right, everything. And so the question that I wish that we would ask more often and that I try to be conscious of asking myself is what else could this mean? And what else could this mean? And if we just expand our options to see that it, it could mean something else if we wanted it to mm. and how that would change everything in the way that we see things and, and just make more productive choices in our lives. I think that would be a really valuable question that we could ask ourselves. That is a powerful one. Probably avoid a lot of conflicts as well. <laughs> exactly. We'd be happier. 
we'd be more productive. We'd be more collaborative, uh, yeah. you know, and yeah, I think it would be overall uh, a, a big win for us. Beautiful. What else could this mean? Thank you, Penny, so much for your time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.